TED Audio Collective. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Hey, I'm Dylan Marin, and welcome back to Conversations with People Who Hate Me, the show where I take conflict and turn it into conversation. If you're into this podcast, may I tell you about Conversations with People Who Hate Me, the book? It's out on March 29th, 2022, and in it, I distill the 12 things I've learned from making this show as a sort of guide for you to use in difficult conversations of your own. Oh, and I also wrote it to be read by listeners and non-listeners of this podcast alike, so that means it is for you and also that person in your life who has never even heard of me or this show. The pre-sale link is in the description of this episode, but I trust that you know how to use Google, and I'm really proud of you for that. So, like I said, this show takes people in conflict, typically, but not always, digital conflict, and connects them in conversation. That is, in fact, what you've gotten in every single episode of this show. Until today. Because today's episode took an unexpected turn. You'll see why as you listen. I first became aware of Michael James Schneider's work in the modern way that most of us become familiar with anyone's work, by scrolling on social media. And chances are, you're familiar with his work too. Michael is best known for his balloon art, in which he takes a modern cultural sentiment or expression, like stop trying to make the wrong people love you the right way, or straight men understand consent when they go to a gay bar, or I know everything happens for a reason, but what the fuck, and then spells those catchy phrases out with shiny mylar balloons, assembles them on a cool colored wall, and then snaps a picture of himself in front of this phrase. I find his images fun to look at. To me, they are a welcome respite from the endless scroll of social media, but I can totally understand why it wouldn't be someone else's thing and that they would just come across it and move on as is their right. And yet, his work, this work, the quotes spelled in balloon motif that I just described, incites an avalanche of hate online. And I'm not just talking about that quote-unquote hate that I sometimes identify on this show, that negativity that only seems like hate because we're reading it online, and when you look closer, it's actually just mild negativity. I'm talking, like, hate-hate. Like, people actively talk about hating this dude and his balloons. One such post currently has over 140,000 likes. But that's just one tweet, and it doesn't even scratch the surface. Now, it is worth noting that this negativity seems to be centralized on Twitter. On Instagram, Michael and his balloon phrases are widely loved. But still, when it gets nasty on Twitter, it gets nasty. There's a concept, and maybe you're familiar with it, but it's the idea of Twitter's main character. As far as I can tell, this term originated in January of 2019 
when a Twitter user with the handle MapleCocaine tweeted, each day on Twitter, there is one main character. The goal is to never be it. If you're a very online person, or even a sort of online person, I'm sure a lot of main characters are coming to mind right now. And I think what's interesting about it is that the main character can be someone who has done something egregiously offensive, or, on the other end, someone who just did something that was deemed cringe. It's a very big and wide-ranging scale of things you have to do to become the main character. And Michael James Schneider, or as he's more dismissively known online, Balloon Guy, has definitely become one such main character. And this, as you can imagine, piqued my interest as a potential episode for this show. So I go about producing it as I do most episodes. I start with Michael. I follow him, he follows me back, and a couple months later, we have a chat. I think I'm recording. Okay, perfect. So we can start here. How are you? <laughs> I'm really well. I'm I'm uh, thawed out now. Okay, perfect. I was, I was in a very, very cold shoot earlier today, and so it's nice to be inside. Amazing. Welcome back in from the cold. We're thrilled to have you here in the warmth. <laughs> um, and now, do you prefer Mike or Michael, just so I, I know? I have no preference. Okay. I have no preference. What? What? Either. Your heart doesn't say anything right now. No. No. My there's nothing in there. There's nothing in okay. my heart. So I'm gonna say Mike. I'm making the decision, Mike. Okay. <laughs> that was great. a trap. No, I love that. You trapped me. I love that. Um, you hang up the call. This is it. Um, <laughs> this is amazing. Um, so Mike. Wow, I feel like we've been like friends for decades. When when I get to use someone's <laughs> nickname, I'm just like, all right, we're best friends. You got to deal with yeah, it. We're yeah, we're now. there. Yeah. It's happening. Okay, so Mike, my old friend from third grade, <laughs> I would love in only as many details as you're comfortable sharing for you to tell me about you. Uh, I'm pretty transparent. I'm I'm a a artist on the side who has a day job that he loves uh, in, in, in retail. Uh, I moved to Portland eight years ago. That was the beginning of my uh, sort of artistic sabbatical. Mm -hmm. And only in the past few years has it really, really taken off. And I yeah. was just as surprised as anyone else that there's an, actually an audience. So when did you start making these balloon quotes? I want to say it was 2017. But it was really rudimentary. Mm -hmm. um, and I had the idea of doing balloons. Um, these balloons, cheesy balloons that you see in every like wedding announcements and <laughs> engagement photos and baby announcements and birthdays. And just yeah. you, you see these kind of everywhere. And I love the idea of turning those on and just like doing something dumb with them. So I did one with my friend, Matt, mm -hmm. and the caption was do what scares you the most D O O scare, uh -huh. what scares you the most. And the balloon spelled out, I just pooped at work. <laughs> so obviously it was a far cry from my eventual like mental health or sassy quotes that eventually it morphed into. And the balloons, it's interesting. They're kind of like the graphic design version of all caps. <laughs> like it is just putting these quotes yeah. in bright psychedelic colors and stark relief yeah. and just shouting them to the world. And so I also played with the idea of, oh, what if it was a serious message in balloons? What does that say about 
like the balloons, what kind of statement is that saying? So like one of the earlier ones was abolish ice now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when the pandemic hit and we were all at home, I had so much time on my hands. Uh, you can't really do a retail job from, uh, from home. So my output increased and it just blew up and took off. Uh, and I, I'm very, very grateful for everything and for the audience. I will say that like it grew so big and so quickly that I made stupid attribution mistakes mm -hmm. and I didn't treat it like a serious business. And then after I would make those mistakes, I would like hire someone and be like, can you please research the origin of this quote? This person is crediting it to like Abraham Lincoln. And I'm sure that's not right. <laughs> like <laughs> um, Abraham Lincoln but, said, but, back that ass up. And you said, yes. Exactly. He 100% he did. Yeah. Little known fact, he, he did say he that. He did. And it's credited. That's fact checked. Fact checked. <laughs> yeah. But he was, he was paraphrasing Gandhi. <laughs> mm, yeah. He was. He was. It was a stolen quote. Yeah. So, okay. You are making this work. Your images are starting to go viral. Uh, people are really attaching themselves to what you do. They're sharing what you do. It's going really well, right? Like mm -hmm. it's it's all going well. Mm -hmm. But of course, this is a podcast about <laughs> why we write particularly mean things. And were you at all paying attention to the kind of like eye roll hate that was coming what I from what I saw primarily on Twitter? Did that did that hit you at all? It doesn't anymore. And I Twitter is the the epicenter of all people committed to misunderstanding me. <laughs> um, but I also am very good at compartmentalizing. And I think my thick skin started growing with my following. And thank God it did. Like, I think I am, <laughs> this is going to embolden my haters, but I think I'm the perfect person to bully in that way because I'm so divorced from the emotions. Um, I do remember what it felt like years ago when like I did Boxwing Boyfriend. And Just popping in here on voiceover to tell you that Mike is referring to his 2018 project where he made a figure out of boxes of wine and photographed himself with this figure in various romantic poses and settings. I think you get the idea from the title, but just in case you were confused, there you have it. So now he's talking about the response he got to Boxed Wine Boyfriend. Content warning, you know, self-harm. But like when I did Boxed Wine Boyfriend and people were like, kill yourself. And I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> like yeah. that, I didn't expect that. <laughs> like, and, and that was like startling and like felt like a hand gripping my chest. And I was just like, holy shit, that's like fucking awful. How can, how, how is this legal? <laughs> yeah. How can, how can that happen online? And like, there's no consequences to that. And, and so that happened every time something of mine would hit big and they still like to this day will say like, you should self-harm. And I've very much learned to like sort of divorce myself from the emotion of it. And I almost feel like, sorry for people like that a little bit. And like, as somebody who tries to put myself in other people's shoes, I can't imagine what it takes to type those words like directed mm. at somebody online. And it's gotten to the point where it really is an online phenomenon. Save for one time where somebody like drove by a shoot and was like, oh, everybody on Twitter thinks you're a dumb nerd, which was like a 
kind of like a cute, soft, it was the softest anyone has, has ever been roasted. Yeah. But aside from that, I've literally never run into a human being in real life that I know of that has said anything critical of my art or uh, taken, you know, responsibility for saying one of those things. Yeah. Um, we hire all these like, you know, young kids at work sometimes. And I'm always wondering like, are we going to get a new hire? And I'm going to like look them up on, on Instagram. And I'll be like, <laughs> I blocked that person. I blocked yeah. that person. That's one of my trolls. Um, so, so there's, there's that too, but it's, it's something that's never affected me in real life. And so maybe that also helps me compartmentalize it yeah. a bit. But it is this weird, roiling, hmm. toxic sort of like boogeyman out there. And I think I just don't give it space because if I did, I don't think I could do what I do. After first speaking to Mike, I get right to work. I pull over a dozen options of potential guests, and this list includes a whole variety of anti-Mike Twitter users, one of whom has posted that they would delete their account if they were him. Others have illustrated the violent actions that they want to take against him with a meme or a grainy screenshot from an old piece of media. Others reveled in the communal bond of hating him, and one person even said that the right place for him is at the bottom of a body of water. I mean, this is getting into some really cruel stuff. Now, I've spoken before on this show about how I draw a line at threats of physical violence. As a rule, I'm not going to reach out to anyone who has threatened either me or the person I'm trying to connect them with on a call. But these people all feel safe because, for one thing— they seem to all be joking. I mean, very mean joking, but joking nonetheless. And for another thing, I know a lot of these people. If I don't follow them personally, then Twitter shows me that I know many users who do. So this group feels familiar, which is why I begin to reach out to them one by one. Another thing to point out is that um, Mike is gay, but strangely, most of the people who I see aimed negativity at Mike appear to be queer themselves, I mean, at least according to the identifiers and emojis in their bios. And yes, it's totally likely that this is just because of the mysterious algorithm that has sorted me into a digital box where I only see people similar to me. But it's still curious enough that I make a note of it. So looking at this list, I rank my first, second, and third choice of guests in my head. It's really usually people who give me a good vibe that a really fruitful conversation might come out of this. And so I begin. I reach out to my first choice on that list. I compose a DM in which I tell them about the show, the episode that I'm interested in producing, and then to convince them that I am in fact self-aware, I acknowledge that yes, this is a truly wild invitation, and I make sure to tell them that they can do this as anonymously as they want, and then I wrap up what always ends up being a way too long message with the offer to hop on the phone with them and answer the many questions that I am sure they have. I press send, and I wait. A few days later, I finally get a response. It's a no. All right, it happens. I reach out to my second choice. It is also a no. Now, this isn't weird. I'm used to it, so I keep reaching out to people. I learned the hard way that I actually have to go about this slowly. 
It's best to reach out to one person at a time so that I can give them my full attention rather than DM blasting a whole bunch of people and then having to deal with a bunch of interested parties who then I can't juggle and then they get offended and they got their hopes up and now they're no longer interested. So yes, I have to go one at a time, which makes the no's particularly frustrating. So I keep reaching out to people one at a time, but eventually I stop getting no's and instead, I just get silence, like no response at all. And yes, this is the point in the production process of every single episode when I shake my fist at the sky for starting a show that is nearly impossible to produce. And while I'm shaking my fist at the sky, I regard my other podcasting friends, the ones who brilliantly and wisely created and host shows that people actually want to be on, and I seethe with envy that they do not have to face this problem. But I get over this feeling quickly because, like I said, it happens in almost every single pre-production process, and I give Mike a call to update him. Hey, Dylan. Mike. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. I'm in the uh, studio right now puttering around. I, I'm proud of you. Um, so I just wanted to give you the quickest update. No luck yet. No responses. Tried following some. I really feel like the biggest fan <laughs> of these people. Um, but here's what I want to do. I want to wait for some people to get back to me. Mm -hmm. Meaning, like, give them some more time. I'll follow up. And then can I update you in like four days and see if I have any luck? That's absolutely fine. Great, great, great. I have faith. I have total faith. No, me too. Me okay. too. I think it's going to sound great. Okay, perfect. Well, I will talk to you really soon. All right. Have a lovely night. Thank you, Dylan. You too. Bye, Mike. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. I really do want to make this work. So after no luck with my first list of potential guests, I pull together a new crop of internet users who have posted about how bad Mike is for all sorts of reasons. And while I'm assembling this new list, I see that Gawker has published a piece titled Deplatform Balloon Guy, and the subtitle reads, He's a Threat to National Security. The author then embeds a variety of Mike's popular posts, chiming in with one-liners about why they're annoying. And all of this is leading to a grave warning. For a safer internet, the writer concludes, Balloon Guy must be deplatformed immediately. Our sanity is at stake. This is, of course, meant to be satire. The hyperbole is just for laughs. But satire punches up. It punches up at politicians, the rich, the powerful, and I can't totally tell which direction this is punching. It's a writer at a known online publication taking a jab at an internet artist. They're definitely punching somewhere, but I don't know that the direction is up. Reading this piece makes me realize that this is actually a much bigger problem than I first thought. Mike's identity as Twitter's main character isn't just specific to Twitter anymore. It's now permeating other spaces too. But the only way I know to combat this default to negativity that the internet is so good at is to make this podcast. And that's what I do. I keep reaching out to people. But with this new crop of invitations, not a single person even responds to me. How's it going? 
So my update is pretty much the same. I haven't heard back from anyone, so I'm just waiting. I just wanted to keep you updated. I really want to make this episode, and I want you to know that I'm not giving up hope on what I think could be a truly beautiful episode. I'm fascinated, especially since there's recency to it, too. I mean, heck, I can pretty much count on getting dragged once a month on Twitter. <laughs> right. So right, right, right. I'm um, fascinated, but I'm not discouraged either. Um, but that's, that's, yeah, yeah, I'm just fascinated. Yeah. How about let's wait maybe four more days, and then if we haven't heard from anyone, we'll figure something out. Yeah. No, that sounds perfect. Okay, great. You know, it's happened before where someone simply hasn't seen my invitation and then they get back to me a little later and it turns out to be a truly amazing episode. So I wait. And I wait. And I wait. And nothing. As I'm looking at my list, I realize something. I've now reached out to 10 people. 13 if I'm counting the ones who don't have open DMs and I had to follow in the hopes that they would follow me back, but 10 in the sense of people who I've actually messaged directly. Now, I understand that 10 people, even 13 people, sounds like a very small number. You DM'd only 10 people? And you call yourself a podcast producer? Put some back into it. Come on. That's you thinking that in your head. And to that hypothetical thought you just had in your head, I say, yeah, because for this show, 10 people is a lot. As I mentioned before, I have to move slowly. I have to reach out to one person at a time so that I can be available to drop anything throughout the week and jump on the phone with them should they be interested. And if they stop being interested, that's when I move on to the next person. I get a lot of no's for this show. But these no's usually happen later in the process, after I've spoken with them on the phone, or after a few DMs back and forth. Sometimes I get these no's right before we're supposed to record. I mean, you would be shocked at how many people who are meant to record episodes for this show suddenly have a family emergency. Is it time-consuming? Yes. But is it worth it? Absolutely. So this is all to say, to get no initial interest at all, 10 is actually a big number. But 10 is also a significant number for another reason. I have never, in the five years of producing this show, never reached out to 10 potential guests without even getting a sliver of curiosity in response. And so I think, yeah, I could spend another few months reaching out to more people, one at a time, but something tells me that I'm going to have the same success rate. But instead of abandoning this episode, I choose to see it as an opportunity. How are you doing? I'm really good. I spent the whole day in the studio doing shoots, getting ready for a big merch shoot okay. for Saturday, which well, is exciting. Well, that's exciting. Congratulations on that. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. good. So, good. okay. The news I have for you today is that officially no one has gotten back to me. We have no takers. Fascinating. It's really fascinating. But I don't think that means there can't be an episode. Um, I have an idea. Yeah, tell me. Stay right there. We will be right back. Before we continue, I just want to say thanks for being here. 
Also, you can be on this show too. Has someone said something negative about you online, or maybe you've said something negative about someone else? Either way, after this episode is over, go to www.conversationswithpeoplewhohateme.com where you can fill out a guest form. And if you don't want to be on this show, that is totally cool. I appreciate you just the same. Maybe consider telling a friend about this show. Word of mouth has brought this podcast around the world, so your recommendation goes a long way. And we are back. Okay, so here is the unexpected second half of my episode with Mike. It's the space where the third act would have been when I connected him to a detractor. Um, so Mike, here we are. It's just <laughs> you and me. Um, not exactly how we envisioned no. the third act of this episode. Um, obviously, you know. I have dug myself into a hole by creating a podcast that people don't want to do. <laughs> and like, you know, <laughs> so yeah, it's a challenging podcast to produce, but it's never been quite like this. So I have a theory about why so few people said yes, which is to say zero people <laughs> said yes <laughs> or were interested at all. And I really don't think it has a lot to do with you. And I think it has a lot to do more with um, the structure of social media and the reward system of social media. But I want to hear if you have a theory. Yeah, yeah. This feels like very familiar territory. Hmm. How so? Well, in a similar way where I used to write about my, my dating experiences on dating apps, it's all this like chasing these endorphin rushes. Because it's all gamified. It's all chasing the most likes or chasing the most swipe rights or chasing the most hearts or retweets on your shitty comment. And Twitter, which is where I've gotten the most negative reaction to my art, right. definitely created this quote tweet feature where it's so easy to like dunk on someone. And it's so easy to persuade other people to dunk on that as well. And it's, it's gamified. It's all gamified. There is a reward system and there's a certain part of internet culture that loves to dunk on people. Now I'm all for a pile on of like some like conservative tone deaf take, but it's fascinating when I see like-minded people dunking on something that I do. And, and it's that like, I'm on your side, but no, they've, they've been rewarded. They've seen that there is a reward system for, you know, being the meanest person. Um, yeah, I think like my theory is essentially that and the gamification is what has attracted viewers and it's what's attracted users and it's what it, what's attracted me and I don't want to speak for you but maybe what's attracted you too you know there's a an intoxicating feeling of like succeeding at the game of the internet oh sure i'm not going to pretend like validation online doesn't feel good oh my god completely like i would be full of shit if i said that that didn't feel somewhat validating but I think that's the same psychology that's undergirding 
the hate against you because I think on many days you become the internet's main character, right? Like mm -hmm. the central punching bag that everyone is invited to take swipes at. And I think not only can they score points on you by having a funny take on why you're bad, but there's also a sense of belonging to it too, that you get to belong by not liking you. Mm -hmm. And I've I've told you this, but like, there's something about this episode, your story, this story, that has like crawled into my head and doesn't let go. <laughs> like, I, and then I also, maybe it's unfair of me to even express that to you because you're a real human being and you are not <laughs> simply a story, but you're a person who is central to this story. So I hope you know I but don't mean that in a disrespectful way. It's just, it's not in my all. head. Yeah, it's in my heart for some reason. When I can step outside of it, and it does feel very abstract, it's just fascinating to me. Because part of it is like, aren't they tired yet? Like, isn't the joke old by now? And clearly they're not. But for me, if I was just making the same joke, which it really is like the same three or four jokes, go viral every time something of mine hits big or touches a nerve i i would i would get bored with that joke yeah i i also think i need to add the heavy asterisk to say that to call you the main character does a huge disservice to actually how like popular and beloved you are and this is the strange thing which is that it's like not the biggest percentage of people who make you the main character, the punching bag. And it's far more people who like and engage with your stuff and then go about their days. But we're talking about a minority here. And I think that always needs to be said to keep scale in check. Yeah. And it's something I remind myself as well to not sort of like let my mental health suffer because of it either. Yeah. But it aligns to the fact that whenever I do these shoots, I get dozens of people either curious about them, stopping by, recognizing me, more likely recognizing the balloons. And only once has one person hmm. uh, trolled me during a shoot. And so I keep that in mind where like, I know that my art helps far more people than it makes angry. You know, I, I do hope that at some point people have the self-awareness to look at why something that I don't necessarily consider hmm. uh, my art that like challenging or controversial or world changing, but why something like this makes them react the way they do. Hmm. It's you know, it's not my problem. It's their problem. But I, I do hope it gives people a moment of reflection at some point about internet culture in general. Now, I kind of want to ask something, and this is the kind of answer that I would love as much emotional honesty as possible, so much so that you have full right to strike this question <laughs> from the mm. episode. Um, yeah. But you speak about this in such a removed way, I, and you feel so calm, cool, and collected. And it's also apparent in your outward-facing 
persona online. For example, I just saw that you put out some merch with a negative tweet on a canvas bag. That's one of my best-selling merch pieces, too. No, listen, I love it. <laughs> I, But I think, like, you, you feel removed from it, the way I see you engage with it and the way I hear you talk about it. And that is great and healthy. And this is where I ask for the emotional honesty, so emotionally honest that that we can cut this if if we want. But does it ever get to you like you have such this strong facade? Do you ever feel like, fuck, this just feels so bad? Yes. And I think I feel it the most when friends will send me shitty things hmm. that people have said about me that otherwise my like very insulated filter would not see. And it's literally like, why would you think this was okay to send to me? Hmm. This has 200,000 likes and this person is clearly dunking on me. Who is this for? Why are you sending this to me? And I think maybe they also see that happy-go-lucky, like, I'm going to turn your shitty tweet into merch so much on social media that they assume, oh, yeah, he's going to laugh at this or he'll make merch from this or something like that. And I'm like, no, no, you're, you're my friend. Like, why, why would I like this? Mm. I think if you asked me this two years ago, I might have even cried. I think if you asked me this one year ago, I probably would have been really, really mad or defiant. But like, I'm a 48-year-old queer man. I was a teenager in the 80s, and I was out at the end of my high school years in fucking Albuquerque, New Mexico. I've been spit on for being gay. I've been bullied and harassed and like beat up when I was younger for being queer. What's the goal of like the trolling and bullying? Is it to make me stop? If, if internet randos think that they're like dunk of like quote tweeting me is going to stop me from living my truth and making my art try harder. Like it's not going to make me stop. And so I feel like the part of it that would let it get to me is the part that was bullied as a kid and got stronger. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. I think like, I know you and I have discussed this offline, but it seems to mostly be gay men. And it's privilege. It's privilege. What do you mean by that? It screams privilege to not know what it's like to have to band together. Mm. I think coming from an era where you met another gay or queer person and that person was a treasure in your life. You come out in college or at the end of high school 
and you are just this unicorn and you are a target. Mm. And so when you find other like-minded people and other gay and queer people, all of you have each other's backs. You are all back to back facing the world. You circle the wagons around each other. I don't think that that type of adversity should be necessary for us to find kinship in each other yeah, as gay or queer people. But I do think it is something, again, broad generalization, really sweeping. But as an older gay man, I don't know how to convince people to band together and to care about other people who are like-minded. You know, the other thing I'm thinking is that, um, and this is heartbreaking, but I think there's also an element of it's, it's actually not, not that important to them. Mm. And I say that that's heartbreaking because it's not like that political rage, that so- sociopolitical rage that's like, I so disagree with what you are doing to this world and my soul is on fire because of it. It's not that their soul is on fire, or if it is, it's only because of the hyperbole mandate of the digital sphere. It's like, it's it's that they actually don't care that much. And I wonder mm. if maybe they actually don't hate you that much at all. It's just simply the task of the day <laughs> to pile on to Balloon Guy. Yeah. And that they... They actually, like, in other moments, maybe they forget that you exist because they're like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I don't know. And and again, I want to keep driving home the fact that I don't think any one person is the villain here. I think it is the platforms that enable this kind of behavior that can so easily turn one person into a punching bag for the semi-pleasure of thousands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some final questions here. But, um, you know, when I was getting the hate comments that launched this podcast, that that started this podcast, mm-hmm the kind of strange coping mechanism I developed or the unexpected coping mechanism I developed was that I would receive these hate messages or comments or see these hate comments. And I would, because most of the hate I was receiving was on Facebook, I would click on the person's profile picture, scroll through their photos and try to imagine the most loving backstory possible for them. And that was like my way of proving to myself that they weren't some like distant monster, but instead they were like full three-dimensional human beings who I might one day be able to reach. So what is the most loving backstory that you can imagine for some of the people who take swipes at you in Twitter's public square? I mean, it's a bumper sticker. It's totally like the the biggest cliche in the book. And I'm sure it's attributable back to one person, but it's that hurt people hurt people. 
I truly feel like the people who are the angriest or who lash out the most have some deep, unhappy kernel in them. Again, this is without them being here, able mm-hmm. to personify <laughs> this. To be like, or I'm not hurt themselves. at all. I've been in therapy for 10 years and I'm doing right? fucking amazing. <laughs> I just legitimately hate your art so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I really think it's that. I think it's just that knee jerk reaction and people grow up to become the love they've known. That's another bumper sticker for you. Mm. But, but, they really do. And, and, and I think that helps me process it as well to know that these people have some maybe deep unhappiness or something where they get satisfaction from the antagonization of an internet stranger. And that's okay because I'm getting to a place where I'm really zen about it. And I've found ways to manipulate it into helping me and supporting me in the long run. Can I actually share something with you that I've learned from doing this for almost five years now? Mm -hmm. Hurt People Hurt People was also a maxim that I used to paint these loving backstories that I was telling you about. But I think the more complicated truth is that hurt people hurt people is sometimes true. It is definitely sometimes true. And I've had a lot of amazing people very bravely own up to that and be like, yeah, sometimes I just log on and I'm trying to get my anger out at the world and I you know you take it out on people who you don't think will ever see these comments. So I think hurt people hurt people is like sometimes a good bet. And I think the more complicated thing is that sometimes they're not hurt, which is what brings me back to the really treacherous design of these platforms, which is like you actually don't have to be enduring existential pain or historic trauma to hurt someone online because I don't think we know our impact. And I, I, I'm literally, I'm a monster because I asked you a question, you answered it beautifully, and here I am being <laughs> a, an asshole and correcting you. No. And I, I'm not correcting you. You're I'm just, not at all. No. I, I, I hope I'm you listening. know I'm just, yeah, I'm just sharing, which is that like, that was a hard lesson for me to learn that hurt people hurt people was almost like this phrase that was so handy when I needed it. And then it like didn't work so much anymore. Mm. Or not that it didn't work anymore is that it's just not a one size fits all phrase. So anyway, this is all to say, I don't know because, and on all of this is hypothetical because we are not talking to a guest. It's just you and me opining about what we think these <laughs> lovely, wonderful people might be. Um, what would you have wanted out of this conversation had it worked out? I think I got what I wanted. Wow. I really do. I think it's that kernel of like understanding, knowing 
that I was going to be in a conversation with someone hmm. made that part of my soul that was going to have to be open to hearing somebody possibly saying some really uncomfortable things about me hmm. to humanizing someone else who had been unspeakably or maybe hilariously cruel to me <laughs> online. Um, or some maybe of both. Them are actually funny. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Unspeakably and um, hilariously. Yeah. But I, but I think the very process that it took to get to that point to be like, okay, Dylan. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yes. Let's do it. <laughs> Just stop asking me. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, not <laughs> okay, like you harangued me or no, anything. Okay, you, you, okay. didn't, you did not. Secrets did not. out. No, no, no. But even just that process was so helpful in opening my heart to all of the potentials that somebody might have said on this. Mm. How are you feeling? Was this okay for you? Or are you oh, feeling yeah. okay? Yeah. No, this was fantastic. Okay. I'm, I'm so happy. Great. Yeah. Great. I I wasn't sure if this was maybe hard to talk about or we were exploring some hard things. Oh yeah. I I mean I definitely got emotional. Yeah. And and was was you know dim light. You couldn't see me crying. I could. But, I could um, sense it. I could sense it, but in a yeah, in a in a yeah. in a good way. Choked up yeah. a little bit. Um. But yeah. Yeah. No. It was it was challenging and good in really good ways and it just uh again it just fascinates me that we could not find someone but i'm i'm definitely definitely open to possibilities this episode did not work out but a lot of episodes haven't worked out in fact more episodes haven't worked out than those that have and those recordings are just gathering digital dust on my hard drive so why am I telling you about this one? Well, for one thing, I kind of wanted you to see how hard this show is to produce, that oftentimes months go into making an episode that you can consume in less than an hour. And to give you a sense, from the time I first followed Mike to today, as I record this right now, that's over six months. But I also think there's a bigger takeaway here. The gamification of the internet that I was talking about with Mike is, what I believe, contributed to not finding a guest. But I don't think I fully explained why I think it contributed. Games allow us to escape accountability. When we play a game, we don't owe anything to the people we encounter on the field. I mean, they're just moving obstacles, walking jackpots if we know how to hit them just right. When we play dodgeball, for example, we don't have to have long, emotional talks about why we threw a ball at someone. No! Everyone knew what they were getting into when the game began. It's a game. You're gonna throw balls at each other. If you hurt your opponent, that's just how it goes. Maybe the people I contacted for this episode didn't understand why I was taking a game so seriously. But games also give us a sense of belonging, specifically to the people we play that game with, our side our team. Maybe the people who said no to doing this episode felt that engaging in a project like this, where they would be talking with and empathizing with Mike, would break those bonds of belonging that they have with their team. I don't know. These are all maybes. You know, I once loved the game of the internet when I felt I was winning at it. 
but more and more, it scares me. Are we implicitly accepting the rules of the game every time we log on? And do we just need to be okay with the points that people want to score off of us because that's just how it goes? I hope the answer is no, but I'm afraid that we've defaulted to the answer being a weary and resigned, yeah. I don't know exactly why a revolving door of Twitter users routinely post about how much they hate Mike and his work. I don't know why so many people have found hating Mike to be such a fun sport. I don't know why expressing hatred of such a harmless piece of internet art has become a badge of honor in some online spaces. But if this show has taught me anything, it's that the people who comment these things about Mike cannot be summarized by just one thing. I bet they are all different people with unique backstories and beliefs and experiences of the world. But we didn't get to hear any of those backstories and beliefs and experiences of the world and reasons for hating Mike because none of them wanted to talk. And hey, to be fair, it does take a lot of guts to come onto this show and own up to something you've written online. But because no one wanted to talk, all I can do, all we can do, is guess. Just like Mike's detractors seem to guess who Mike is. And without conversation, it just becomes a whole bunch of strangers not seeing each other up close as human beings, telling ourselves stories about the other and trusting that these stories are true, or true enough. At the end of every episode of this show, I always say, remember, there is a human on the other side of the screen. Today, we are seeing the unspoken caveat of that mantra. You only get to see the human on the other side of the screen when they allow you to see them. Otherwise, you're just stuck in a game that you may or may not have agreed to play. If you have an idea for a conversation for this show, head on over to www.conversationswithpeoplewhohateme.com and fill out the brief submission form. Conversations with People Who Hate Me is a part of the TED Audio Collective. This episode was mixed by Vincent Cascione. The theme song is These Dark Times by Caged Animals. The logo was designed by Philip Blackowl with a photo by Mindy Tucker. And this show is made by me, Dylan Marin. You can pre-order Conversations with People Who Hate Me, the book, by following the link in the description of this episode, or you can buy it wherever you buy books. Thank you so much for listening, and guess what? We are weekly now, so stay tuned next week for a brand new conversation. And until then, remember, there's a human on the other side of the screen. Dark times. Make it through these dark times.